If you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to be going verse by verse here, and uh, we'll see how far we make it today. Um, Maybe we can make it, what, three, four chapters? No, you're not going to do that. Um, Look at chapter 6. We're going to be verse 39. Uh, I'm still not sure how much we have, actually, so let's... let's, uh, Let's dive into this right here. Some call this the Sermon on the Plain, and I'm not sure if it's a different sermon uh, at, the, at a different time, but it seems like it may be a continual uh, sermon from the last. So Jesus just got done talking about how we should be, and then what we should do in chapter 6, and as it pertains to treating our enemies, right? And, and now this section in verses 39 and, 30, uh, and 49 through 49, it's dealing with who we are. And we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And uh, in verse 40, he uses the word disciple, which means learner, follower, a student of the word of God, right? And, and uh, we are as believers in Christ, as the church, we're disciples, right? Jesus didn't call fans, right? He's not looking for fans to cheer him on. He's looking for disciples to follow after his steps and where he goes. He wants you to go as well. So let's look at three things as it pertains to who we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Number one is the humility of a disciple. Notice in verses 39 and 40, we're going to see if, if we are a disciple, man, boy, do we need humility. <laughs> I think that's a, oh man. But we see, we see a parable is stated here. Look, look at verse 39. It says, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? And so Jesus begins this section with a parable. And Jesus loves speaking in parables. In fact, uh, there's 32 parables that are mentioned in the gospels Um, and the word parable by the way is mentioned 50 times in the new testament and it's a compound word Uh, is para meaning alongside uh, and bole to cast out or to throw so it's casting out one thought alongside of another thought and typically jesus takes on uh, really one physical truth, and he cast it alongside a spiritual principle. That's kind of his uh, style of teaching, if you will, when he presents these parables. But now we see a, a principle is spoken. Notice in verse 40, he says, The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So since we are a disciple of Jesus... Well, he's our teacher, right? And that's why we need to be perfectly trained by him so that we could be like him, right? And, and the problem, though, is pride, which says, you know, I, I don't need to be taught by anybody. I mean, I know it. I got it. I got it made. I mean, look at me, right? That's what pride says. I don't need to learn anything else. I'm, I'm, I'm my own teacher, you know? And uh, in fact, I'm more than my teacher. That's, the, that's what pride says in our hearts, uh, but humility says, I got a long way to go. I have a lot to learn. You know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to my teacher because 
Well, he's my teacher. He knows more than I do, right? That's humility. Um, And Jesus, obviously, is our great teacher. um, And he teaches us by example, really, in what he does and what he says and how he lives and, well, you name it, right? His whole life. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.21... He says, for to this you are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Uh, in John 13, 15, uh, John says, for, or Jesus says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So you and I are an example in reality, whether you like it or not, believe it or not, you're an example to someone, somewhere, somehow. I don't know how, but uh, I, I could think of, you know, parents, right? Grandparents. I could think of employees, employers, students, teachers, right? You're, you're being an example to somebody in your life, uh, whether you know it or not, whether it's for good or for bad. Uh, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 11, he said, imitate me, as, just as I imitate Christ. So as we look to Jesus and his example, man, we're going to do well, right? You're going to finish well. And to hear those words from Jesus, right, himself, to say, well done. I mean, that alone, woo, oh, <laughs> right? That's all I want to hear. The rest is, right, that's all. But man, well done. How cool is that? Um, but so Jesus also, he teaches us not only by example, but he also teaches us by his word. Um, and that is why we hold his word so important in this church. Uh, on Sundays, I usually see new people and, and I describe to them, you know, if they ask us, uh, you know, how is your church? What, what, what makes your church different or unique? And I always tell them, well, it's a Bible teaching church. We just simply stress the word of God and we teach the word of God. And so you're going to hear nothing but the word of God. Right? <laughs> that's, that's what's going to go forward. Uh, we know in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So as we go through the word it begins to really work its way in our hearts. It begins to work its way in our thoughts and thus our lives and our actions and everywhere else. Um, Jesus said in John 17, 17, he said when he was praying there in the garden, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we don't teach the word, uh, you know, that it that it's, we, we, we don't... Uh, how should I say that? We teach the word of God because we understand how important, how mighty, and how powerful it is. But if we choose not to teach the word of God, what are we teaching? Right? What, what are these churches doing if they're not saying, hey, turn to and going verse by verse through the word? Well, they're going to be teaching you nothing but, well, maybe their own thoughts, maybe their own feelings. You're going to be led by what they think and by what they feel. I would rather be led by what the word of God says. Amen, church? I want that sweet conviction when I hear the word of God and it, it just leads me to more righteousness where I just, I want to repent, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, you know, you get that. You, you begin to tremble because you hear the word of God. And, and though the preacher or the teacher is not even yelling 
it. He just simply is just saying, and the Bible says, right? And you're just like, oh, you're cut to the heart. That's what I love. I love it when the Holy Spirit's doing his work in his church, but he does it through not only uh, by example, by, the, by his lifestyle, but also by his word. And so as we hear his word. So now there's a, a problem that we start to see here in Luke chapter 6, and it's going to be in verses 41 through 42, and this problem is seen. Notice in verse 41, it says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove your speck, or your you know, sawdust, uh, that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye, hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. So you see, the problem is not only thinking that we're better than our teacher, right, pride. The problem is now thinking that we're better than others. <laughs> pride, pride is going to mess you up if you allow it to take root in your life. Um, thinking somehow, you know, I got it all together, and some, uh, the rest of you, you guys are just all messed up. That's what, that's, the way of thinking for those who are prideful. And sadly, that's the, that's the way a lot of people actually think. Um, they desire to see others, you know, when they stumble, they, they just pick them apart, right? They, they tear them apart. And when in reality, we have a great sin, a great sin, a giant sin in our own life, and that's the work of pride. And Jesus, if that's the case, if you got that huge plank in your eye and you're like, uh, excuse me, you got a little sawdust right there. Yeah, right, no, right there, right there. Oh, there you go, right? Man, Jesus would say, you hypocrite. That's, that's the word right there. Here it is right here too. Um, it, it's a, you know, comes from when a stage actor uh, who comes out with one face in one scene, he's on stage, and then all of a sudden in an, uh, another scene, he's a, he has another face. So in other words, you would call him two-faced, right? You hypocrite. That's the, that's the terminology there. But Jesus says to stop that attitude and deal with your own sin first, right? But our problem is we think other people's sin is, well, it's greater than ours, Amen, church? I mean, their sin, I mean, they need a lot of help. <laughs> I mean, I, my sin's not that bad. I mean, after, it's not like I'm murdering anybody after all, right? It, and we begin to try to, right? You guys see that? You begin to reason your sin. You want to feel comfortable in your sin, don't you? And, and you want to just, you know, you want to go to a church that doesn't talk about sin because you're like, oh, I don't like that feeling. Why? Stop telling me about how wrong I am. See, those who are prideful, they don't want to be corrected, do they? They hate being corrected. They're the ones who argue back, but you, and they'll point their fingers. Um, but uh, it's just interesting how, how all that works. But so we, if we are prideful, though, and we try to come up to our brother who has stumbled in, in, in their walk with the Lord, we will come across with this more holier-than-thou attitude, right? Here, brother, let me help you out of your misery. Get up here where I am. And, and that's the idea. We try to think, you know, that we're something when we're not. Um, but now we need to look at our own hearts first. And, and I think David understood this. David said in Psalm 139, 23, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, 
to pray a prayer like, oh, God, I, I am messed up. Lord, I, I, I need your help. I, I can't do it. I, I can't do this. Right? To, to, for God to hear a prayer like that is like, right on. <laughs> now I can, right? Because he couldn't because you were all about self. But now when you get said, Lord, I can't. Uh, Lord, I need your help. That's the prayer that we are to pray. We're to examine our own hearts before the Lord. And when you check your own heart first, by the way, um, you no longer approach your brother with the spirit of haughtiness or uh, self-righteousness or uh, pride and arrogance, right? Uh, But rather, you'll now approach them with the spirit of humility, right? You'll be able to sympathize with their weakness. And out of brokenness, you're able to come alongside them now. You're able to weep with them and say, man, you know what? I I stumbled in that area. I fell in that area. It not only ruined me, it ruined my whole family. It broke me into tears and I wasn't even able to pray at that time. And, And you can remind them how God forgave you when you fell into that sin right? And, and now you can say, hey, can, can I pray for you, brother? I, I understand what you're going through, and I've been there before. Can I, can I come alongside you and, and pray with you? You know, and that's, that's so cool how the Lord can do that, because God, he's not going to turn away a contrite heart. He's not going to turn away a broken heart, right? Psalm 51. But let's, let's go on here. The, the, let's look at the fruit of a disciple, the fruits of a disciple. Look, look at verses 43 through 45. By the way, notice the comments that Jesus is going to make in verses 43 to 44. It says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Wow. Uh, But Jesus is not only dealing with the simple fruit right here, obviously, right? There's the good fruit, there's the bad fruit, right? Not, Not just that, but that every tree is known by its fruit. Man, if I see an apple tree, it's an apple tree, a uh, duh, right? To me, it's just a no-brainer. There's no such thing as self-identification stuff here, right? That's silliness. Uh, an apple tree is always an apple tree, right? An orange tree is always an orange tree. So it's very, very simple. But notice the conclusion here in verse 45 that Jesus states. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So this is the conclusion that he's making here. And it's simple. It's all about the heart. Did you guys notice right here three times? Three times he mentions the heart. And the heart is always associated with good and evil. And the heart is the seed of our, our heart and our, uh, uh, our desires, our passions, if you will, our thoughts. And, and this is dealing with our fruit, our actions. They're going to follow as well. But the problem with seeing someone and trying to fix what they're going through uh, with their actions is, well, we think if we can just get them to stop doing this or that, then, then they'll be okay. 
right? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Let me fix you, right? And by doing this, I see your works and I'll, I'll, I'll bid you another works over here and this is going to help you. That's, that's the mindset of a lot of people. But no, we, we can't change a person's heart, right? And that's something that I've realized over the last couple of years, um, especially with my own children. I, I noticed I can't change them. I can't change them. You know, I've tried the rewarding thing, and I tried the punishing thing. And I've tried, you know, I could lay down the law, or I can reward them. But I realize it's only by the word of God that they, I can actually train them up, right? And that's what the word tells me to do anyways. It, it never said, hey, you want to change this person's heart? Give them the law. Smack them down with the law and say, here's what the word says, and you're, you need to obey. It, people are not going to change. Right? Or by saying, hey, I'll reward you if you do this, right? Or I'll punish you if you do this. No, man's heart is only changed by God. You can't change a person's heart, right? But that's where, uh, and we know, you know, for me personally, uh, I train up a child in the way they should go, and they're, they, they're, they're going to grow in the Word, right? And it, so it's a promise, but also prayer. Prayer is so important. Uh, I was just talking to somebody on the phone today, and they're like, you know, how can this person, um, you know, they're going through this sin in their hearts, and, you know, what do we do? What do I do? <laughs> and I was all, you can't do anything. It's only God who can change them, you know, but God uses the prayer of his saints. He listens to them. He hears them, and, and you know what? Uh, intercession Prayer, when you're praying for on behalf of somebody else, is so powerful, so powerful. We got to continue to pray for each other because there's power that we don't even know, uh, but we can see in reality when God answers that prayer. It's just, it's amazing. But um, the reason we can't change a person's heart is, well, Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? And so when you realize in prayer that you can't change and, and you need God's help, that's when he steps in, and that's when he comes alongside you and me, right? It's the, the work of the Holy Spirit, but he can't use you if you're full of pride, if you're full of self, right? And, and God said to Israel in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's the God I serve right there, right? Only he can change our hearts to enable us, to empower us, really, uh, to serve him and to, to, right, just to live for him. And our actions are going to follow alongside, right? As we surrender, as we submit our hearts over to the Lord, he's going to do a mighty work in and through our hearts. Um, and it, what a blessing that is. By the way, turn, turn I want to show you something. Turn to John 15, John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this fruit of a disciple um, while we're on this topic. Jesus makes it very clear about our ability to follow him alone. In John chapter 15, it says in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruits. 
John 15, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I love that part. That's great. See, the the branch can't bear fruit on its own, right? It it, it needs to abide in the vine, right? That's where the nutrients comes from uh, so that the fruit can be produced out of it, right? And that, this, this life is very simple, guys. Did you guys catch that? Where are you in the mix of this right here? You are called to what? You're called just to hang out with Jesus. Isn't that cool? You just hang out with Jesus. That's what you're called to. In fact, look at verse 8. Skip down to verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. That's a promise. How can we bear much fruit and, and to show that we're a disciple of Jesus? Well, by abiding on the vine. It's simple. Just hang out with Jesus every day and fruit is going to abound in your life naturally, supernaturally, if you will, right? It's just a natural work of what Christ does in and through our lives as we submit to him, as we look at his word, as we talk to the Lord daily, we just hang out with Jesus, right? Throughout the day, um, he naturally is going to do that work in us. Paul said in Galatians 5, uh, 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, and, and thus, you know. But love, love is obviously the only fruit uh, that the Lord produces in us, right? It's a love. The other eight adjectives are describing what love is. First John 4, we know that what God is love, right? And so these are thus the characteristics of who God is. And, and so it describes who God is, right? How, you know, he's love. And so we looked at the hum- humility of a disciple and the fruit of a disciple. Uh, but now let's look at the obedience of a disciple. And remember, when Jesus is teaching here, he's teaching his disciples, right? He's not teaching the whole crowds and everybody else. He's talking directly to his disciples here. So now let's look at the obedience of a disciple. In verses 46 through 49, go back to Luke uh, chapter 6. Um, And notice a question that is asked here in verse 46. He says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Notice he didn't say Savior, Savior, but he said Lord, Lord. Did you guys catch that? Lord, Kyrios, it means master, ruler, supreme commander, Right? One who is an absolute charge over everyone and everything. If he's the master, man, we ought to be serving him. Right? This makes sense. We need to be obedient to his commands, not our own. You might be saying correct words. You might be doing good deeds. But if you're not submitting to the Lord, well, then you're not his. 
Did that, I hope that strikes into somebody's heart today. Amen, church? Amen? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, right? Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done uh, many wonderful uh, or many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, we, we can act religious. We can say the right words. We could do good deeds. But are we submitting to the will of God? And, and you know, understand that obedience really demands lordship, right? Lordship demands obedience. It's the same, vice versa, right? Jesus needs to be both your savior and your lord. It can't be, no, he's just my lord, right? Or no, he's just my savior. No, he needs to be both. And if he's not both, you don't know him and you don't really follow him because you haven't truly submitted to him. In fact, turn with me to uh, James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. James talks about being obedient to the word of God. And it's one thing to say, you know, you're a Christian, and another to be an actual Christian, right? <laughs> you could be a Christian, uh, and, and, and you could also say that you're a Christian and not be a Christian. Um, James says in James chapter 1, Look at verse 22. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, we, we've been deceived in coming to church every week by week and hearing the word if we are not doing or practicing the word. Right? You're, you're being deceived if that's the, the case. It, please understand that if Jesus is not our Lord, then he can't be our Savior. Look at James chapter 1, look at verse 23. It says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, oh, I just love that, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Clearly, we are blessed if we obey, right? Scripture makes it very obvious when we are doers of the word of God. In John chapter 13, verse 17, it says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Right In Revelation 22, verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who do his commandments. Right, So you see clearly by doing what the word of God prescribes for you, it, you're going to be blessed. It's a blessing. Right, It's not meant to be a burden to you. Uh, it's a blessing since it's Christ in us and through us. Right, And it's back to Luke chapter 6, by the way. Um, that should give you relief knowing, you know what, I don't... Yes, be a doer, but how do I do, do, do 
right? We just saw that that's very clear through scripture. But so do, should I go out there and start doing all this stuff to be pleasing to God? Because I want to make it to the kingdom of God. So what do I do? Well, you abide. If you simply abide, he will do, do, do in you. <laughs> He'll do all that work in and through your life. And those, that work that he does will be pleasing in his sight. But it'll be a natural work that only he can do. Now, if you try to do it in of your own flesh, that's where you fail miserably and fall on your face, right? And it's like, oh. <laughs> um, but understand, we, we can't do anything for the Lord and of our own flesh. But look back at Luke chapter 6. Notice the comparison that is made here. Look, notice in verse 47, um, it says, um, actually it's, yeah, verse 47. But whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently, vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Now, notice the comparison he, uh, is, is he who is a doer of the word, right? He, who puts them into practice. He's likened to this guy who really built his house on the rock, right? He dug deep to find the bedrock, and then the foundation of his house was built basically on the rock. And, and twice, notice twice this word rock is mentioned here. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says that Jesus is our rock, right? And so he's our firm foundation. And uh, the point is simple. Obedience as a disciple is not dependent on us. It's not about the house. It's about the foundation, right, of the house in which the house is built on. So understand the house just sits there. How hard is that, by the way? You just sit there. That's what you do. You just be who you are in Christ Jesus and let him hold you up. Let him do where he, where he wants you, right? It's like if he wants to uproot you and put you somewhere else, it's going to be by his hand. It's not going to be your own hands kind of, you know, trying like two leaves, you know, trying to wither off somewhere. No, it's going to be him uprooting you and putting you in the place he wants you to be in. But it, let, it's got to be his work, right? And so the point is simple. It's all about Jesus. And understand, we can't be obedient to Christ on our own. We need to allow him to do his work. You guys all know Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And it's Christ working in you and in me. Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Guys, we need to be careful when we think we have any strength of our own, any might of our own, right? No, it's his power, it's his might that we are to be strong in. Did you guys catch that? We use his strength. We draw from his strength, if you will, and his power. It's not our own. We can't be strong in who we are. We got to be strong in using his strength and using his power because in who we are, we're nothing, right? We got nothing. Um, But now notice the contrast that is given. Notice in verse 49, it says, But he 
who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So what a contrast to being a doer of the word or just a hearer of the word, right? If you come to just hear but not to take heed and do, well, you'll, you'll be like the man that built the house on the earth without a foundation, right? And don't be swept away by the rains that are coming because they're coming, right? And, and only in Christ and through Christ can we remain because he's our firm foundation. And only in Christ can we be a disciple, right? Get, get yourselves out of the equation. I think we always do that, right? We always put ourselves in there and we think that we can prove something to God and that we're something for God. We gotta get ourselves out of the picture. It's Christ who can do a perfect work in you as you are in him. But if you're all full of yourself, then there's nothing of Christ, right? So you got to be out of yourself in a sense, right? Let's make that some terminology. Get out of yourself, right? Get in to Christ. And when you're in Christ, then he begins to flourish and do a work in your life. So it's all about Jesus, the firm foundation. It's not about the house. Amen, church? Amen. All right. Let's, let's look at, uh, wow, that was a whole teaching right there. We should have been done by now. I went on fast forward version for you guys. Uh, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Um, now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews uh, to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servants. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends, or sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. And for I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, or, and he does, he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servants well who had been sick. Wow, that's amazing, right? This is powerful right here. So notice, it's not about the healing of the servant, so much so as much as it is about faith and the centurion's faith did you guys catch that and that faith was in Christ Jesus uh, go back to verse 9 notice what Jesus says right here I say to you I have not found such great faith not even in Israel wow Jesus is not talking about any old faith he's talking about rather great faith did you guys catch that word great 
faith right here. Notice the centurion. He had, he had the heart of Jesus, by the way. Let's rewind here a little bit. In, in verses 1 through 5, you see the heart of Jesus in the centurion. And really, we see this in two ways. In the first, he had the heart of Jesus for his servant. Did you guys catch that? Let's reread verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he answered Capernaum. And a certain uh, centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And so now Jesus, he just got done finishing all of his teachings from chapter 6, right? And even though these teachings were directed at his disciples, there were still people uh, who were listening to the teachings as well. And so they were gathered around as well. But then he entered Capernaum, which is interesting. It's the village of Nahum. And uh, obviously there was a Roman garrison there uh, since the centurion, right, was uh, there. He was in charge of a hundred soldiers. Um, so it's interesting that Jesus, he chose to go to Capernaum. Why Capernaum? Well, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, uh, it says about Jesus. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and he came to his own city. So Jesus chose this city really as his base of operation, if you will. This was where everything would, would, would be happening from. Why Capernaum? Well, uh, this was to fulfill prophecy of Isaiah. If you guys know it, in Isaiah, somewhat 750 years earlier, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So Jesus fulfills this verse as well. And according to John chapter 8 verse 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So this city becomes super significant. We could, we could do a whole study on just Capernaum and why Jesus chose it, looking from Isaiah, looking from uh, the, the terminology that he used, but obviously uh, it's, it's very, very significant here. But let's look back at this centurion here. This centurion, uh, with great experience, obviously it got him into that position, uh, and he had a servant, right? And the word servant, by the way, if you notice in verse uh, two, it says in a certain centurion servant, that I looked up that word servant, I was like, hi, huh, I wonder if this is doulos, and it is, right? It's doulos, right? This is a common word for bond slave. This is like the lowest of the lowest of the lowest position that you can have, right? A doulos, a bond servant, if you will. Um, so this servant I noticed, notice verse 2 again, was dear to the centurion. It says, a certain centurion servant who was dear to him. Right? It, it's only used five times in the New Testament, this word dear. And it means precious. It means of value. A, a, a reputation to honor. It means a prize. 
right? And so get the picture here. Understand what's happening here because I didn't catch this until I slowed down and I decided I'm going to go back to this verse again. And then I began to, you know, I looked at slave, I looked at deer, then I was like, wait, wait a minute. This is a centurion we're talking about. This is a guy who rose up to power through the things he did, right? You don't just get into a position like that unless you've done something, unless you, you know, you showed yourself as worthy of that position. And thus, this guy has a big shot. And obviously, we, we, we know in verse 5 uh, that he did a, a lot of things, and so he was in a prominent position. But here is this Roman centurion, right? A, a centurion of a hundred soldiers, and yet he held his servant in a place of honor. He prized his servant. Did you guys catch that? His servant was very important to him. He put his his servants in the same place as his soldiers, if you will, right? He, he honored them. And this points to the heart of Jesus. His great faith was seen in that he had a heart like Jesus toward his servants, toward someone who was lowly and outcast, right? Uh, uh, you know, a slave, basically. That's who he was. And what a picture of Jesus' heart for the lowly, for the outcast, right? For the leper, the sick, the poor, the widow, for the demon-possessed. You guys, you get the picture there, right? The heart of Jesus, and it's the same heart that Jesus has. We need to be careful in just having a heart for those who are, well, they're like us, right? They, they, the same social, um, uh, you know, economic or, or the sports teams, right? Or, you know, they, they look like us, they dress like us, they talk like us. Uh, we got to be careful not to just be around our crowd, right, of people. Uh, but Jesus, his heart was for the lowly, the outcast, the hopeless, the helpless. And um, I can't help but think of uh, his—I was just going over this right now, actually, when, during worship, and I was like, what was his name? I remember in—I was a bad kid, so I got kicked out of school after school, right— and then uh, I think this was seventh grade now. I just got kicked out of a school for fighting, came to this new school, and now the Lord was doing a change in my heart, right? Sixth grade, but now I'm in seventh grade. It's been a while. The Lord's been transforming me, and now I'm just waking up, and I'm like, you know what? This is a new school. This is new people, and they don't know me, and I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to just, Lord, I made a promise, and I'm going to do it, and and I'm going to give the gospel to these guys, right? And and I remember just sitting there, and, and the teacher's like, oh, welcome to our, our school, welcome to our class, go ahead and take any seat you want. I remember just looking at the class, and, you know, there's the popular group, there's the sports guys, and there's the, you know, the ones that I would always sit with and hang out with. But I looked over, and nobody's sitting by this guy all alone. His name was Ian, and I had no clue what his name was until I started praying during worship, and it was just boosh. That was his. I was like, "Yes, that was it." <laughs> Ian, Ian, where he 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 was always in a. Uh, it was like a red flannel sweater. Uh, it was like a jacket, a flannel jacket, and and uh, even it's Arizona, right? This is summertime. He's still in this flannel jacket. He he was wearing it every single day. He stunk like smoke. 
And I even asked him, I was like, hey, man, why, why do you always smell like cigarettes? And I was like, do you smoke? He's like, no, I, I hate cigarettes. And I was like, why do you stink? He's like, oh, my parents smoke. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. But nobody wanted to hang out with this guy. I mean, his hair's, you know, everywhere. He'd never combed it or anything. And then the smell, you know, this is the same jacket every day. So, you know, I, I was like, whoa. Um, but Ian, uh, one day I was in math class and... Uh, you know, the teachers teaching up there on the, on the board. Well, there's the popular guys, the bullies, right? It's about five of these guys. They're the big muscle guys. They come up to Ian, and I'm sitting next to Ian. I decided, Lord, you know, I want to sit with the outcasts. I want to, you know, at lunchtime, I'm sitting with these guys. I'm not going to hang out with that crowd. And I'm sitting with them, and he comes, they come up, and they grab his backpack, Right, right in front of him, they just yank it out of his, his hands. They walk over to the, the other side of the classroom, throw it in the garbage, right? And they're, oh, yeah, yeah, I got him, right? And I was like, oh, they don't, you know, I just got done getting in a fight and getting kicked out of the other school for standing up for somebody. And I was like, that, I can't take this, right? And I was like, hey, go get his backpack. And the teacher's still like, five plus five, right? And the whole time, and but I, I'm telling these guys, and they're like, what? Who do you think you are? Oh, you want to fight? And I was like, yeah, bring it on. And, and uh, the bell rang, and, you know, I ended up going outside, and, and everyone's like, oh, they're going to fight. I go out to the field. Five guys want to beat me up, right? They're all, let's go out to the field. They're waiting out there. I walk up. I'm not a talker, right? I don't, they do all the, and they want to talk stuff. And I'm, I'm more of a, like, you know, let's just, we're here to fight, right? <laughs> Let's get it over with. But I remember thinking of David, and as I'm walking up, I'm seeing Goliath, right? Because this is five, I mean, one guy, I could probably, I could handle that, right? That's, that's my pride that I was talking back then. But five of them, and I'm walking up, and I'm praying, Lord, you know, like Samson, he prayed for that help at that last minute. <laughs> help, <laughs> I was praying to the Lord. And uh, I ended up fighting them, and I, I took them out. But I think that was the Lord who did that. They were doing this weird swinging stuff, right? And it was, it was pretty cool to see. It was like a movie that I was watching. And at the end, I was like, wait, what? I was doing one of these, and I stopped. And, and the Lord just, he was like, what are you doing, Josh? And I was like, oh. I'm just, I was trying to help the guy, you know? But, you know, you're the lowly and the outcast, but I took it too far, right? I was, I was trying to go a little too far with them and, and beating them up. But uh, yeah, the Lord spoke to me at that moment, man, reach out to these guys. And, and the cool thing is, and this is what brought me to uh, tears just thinking of, and it, I wasn't as emotional back then, but Ian came to the Lord. I remember that day going back to Ian, I gave him that guy a big hug, and, and he was, you know, all the kids were out trying to be, oh, who are you? What's your name? Oh, yeah, right? And I didn't care about, who cares what is popularity? What is that, right? What is that? Who cares? And, and uh, so I remember giving Ian a big hug, and then I, I prayed with him, and I told him about the Lord and what the Lord wants to do in his life. And man, Ian gave his life to the Lord. And I, I, I keep that guy in prayer, right? Wherever he is, I don't know where he's at. But man, it's so cool to see what the Lord can do. Um, anyways, I don't know how I got sidetracked there. Um, Oh yeah, uh, Jesus cares for the lowly, right? He cares for the outcasts, and we are to stand up for them as well. Come alongside them. Take note of who these people are, especially in our fellowship, right? There's people who are, maybe they, they, they're, 
they, there's no fellowship. Nobody knows who they are. Come alongside them. Walk up. Introduce yourself, right? Step out of your comfort zone. It's, that's what Christ did for us, right? And he came to us. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But did you notice, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I love that, right? You want to know Jesus? That's Jesus. This centurion, he had this same heart as well, right? Where he was standing up for his servants. He was standing up for the lowly. He came and he put his reputation on the line for his servants. Now, the centurion, he also had a heart for the Jews. Notice in verses uh well, let's just read verse 3 to 5. It says, So when he heard about Jesus, he sent his elders, uh, sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. And for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Wow. So the centurion had great faith, not seeing the works of Jesus, right? But notice in verse 3, it says he heard about Jesus. So it wasn't so much about, you know, him watching Jesus and being like, yeah, this, he's doing miracles, he's doing this, he's doing that. I'm watching his lifestyle. I'm watching in the way, you know, he, he works and does things. No, Hebrews 11.1, 1, what does it say? It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the centurion had great faith, literally great faith, according to verse 9, uh, because it's not about seeing, rather about hearing, right? And this centurion, what set him apart was that he heard about Jesus, right? And Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, notice in verse 5, it deals with his heart for the Jews, and I thought that was interesting. Um, it, it says, for he loves our nation, um, we are to love God's people, right? The Jews as well, because uh, they're God's people. This is biblical. We're not to agree with their doctrine. Obviously, they're waiting on the Messiah, and we know that the Messiah already came, uh, but we are to love them. We're to pray for their salvation. Uh, Psalm, was it, 122, 6, I think is, you're going to prosper if you love them. Uh, and so understand the church does not replace Israel, by the way. There's some churches out there that um, speak that stuff, but God is not done with his people, right? And, and we have been grafted in as the church, and so we got to keep that in mind. We're not, if you're not Israel, uh, we've been grafted, we're the Gentiles, right? So we've, 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 uh, we need to take heed all the more. Uh, but notice in verse 5, he built them a synagogue. This centurion blessed Israel, and I will not donate toward, you know, the rebuilding of the temple, because I know what the temple's all about, right? I got a little coin thing, shekel thing with Trump on there, but uh, I, I didn't buy it. That was a gift, so I'll just I'll keep that. But um, I'm not going to donate because I know that's where the Antichrist is going to come into the, the temple and he's going to declare himself as God, right? The abomination of desolation in Daniel 9. So I'm not going to 
I know where that's going. And I know that's not where the Messiah is going to step foot in and declare himself as God. So uh, I'm not going to support, but I will support those who are in Israel who are given the gospel, right? I'm going to support uh, God's people. I'm going to pray for them and their salvation. So let's, let's go on here. Um, the centurion had great faith in Jesus, right? He submitted to Jesus. Notice in verse 6, then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, right? Just Did you guys catch that? Lord, do not trouble yourself. He called Jesus Lord. What does Lord mean again? It means master, right? So he was in a high position. He considered Jesus above himself right a servant lives only to please his master in other words he's saying I'm your servant right when he says Lord he's saying you're above me you're my teacher you you're you're basically God right and he's submitting to God and it involves great faith right you you can't see it but you trust in him that's the idea here but notice his humility towards Jesus notice in verse 6 uh, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should not enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy, twice he says that, to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. So twice, right, he mentions his lack of worthiness. And pride says, I deserve it, right? So, uh, humility says, I don't deserve it. That's what humility says. And through humility, we know, right, that we, that's how we receive God's grace. Uh, if we were not humble, we would not know God's grace. And, and if you live on in a prideful life, you, you have no clue what we're talking about. But notice his faith as well in Jesus. Notice in verse 7 again at the end, but say the word and my servant will be healed right? Um, notice in verse 8, for I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Uh, notice it involves the word of the Lord in verse 7. He says, but say the word, right? He had faith in the word of Jesus. Jesus, you speak it, right? Because you're God, right? If you're God, you say it, and it is. It's been done. It's, you know, creation. God spoke us into existence. He spoke our reality into existence, right? And what we see and what we can, we can touch. And so Jesus' word obviously has power indeed, right? But it also involves his blessing from Jesus, Notice in verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. By the way, this is the only time Jesus ever marveled. Isn't that interesting? And it, it, was, a, it was a centurion, um, a Roman guy. So uh, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. So Jesus honored the request. Why? It was because of faith. Because of great faith, right, at that. Only time Jesus marveled in scripture, though. I think that is just, um, how cool is that? That's interesting. Um, guys, we are running out of time, so we're not going to go through the rest of the verses here. Um, so let's go ahead and stand up and let's pray. And I just hope you guys are encouraged as much as I was. Uh, I was reading through this, and I really felt... Um, 
really the Lord just drilling me on a few things and, uh, you know, on, on a, a lot of things, you know, obviously that we spoke about. But man, may we consider God's word, right? May we take heed to his word. As we go this week, you know, continue to open up the word, guys. Continue to pray. Continue to seek him and trust him. And who knows what's going to happen this week. There's a lot that can happen. Uh, but you hold hold, hold ground, right? Hold to the faith, right? So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, again, for your goodness. Thank you, uh, Lord, that we're able to, we're able to trust in you, Lord. We're, we're able to know you as believers, and you called us, Lord, just to be faithful, just to hang in there, just to remain and abide in you. I pray, Lord, no matter what anybody's going through right now, Lord, that you would meet them where they're at, and uh, come alongside them, Father. Thank you so much that you're you're good, Lord, and and uh, you know all things, Lord. You're able to meet the needs uh, of all, Lord, of of your church, Lord. And I would just thank you that you are faithful, and that uh, you know what you're doing. You're in charge of this world. Uh, the economy could fall apart. The society could fall. Our government could fall apart, Lord. Uh, war can happen. All this stuff can take place. But we trust in you, Lord. We know who you are. And we ask, Lord, that we would have great faith as well. Um, that we would be able to call out in your name, Lord, and, and ask for your help. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, really, the Lord is drilling me on a few things. And... Uh, you know, on, on a, a lot of things, you know, obviously that we spoke about. But man, may we consider God's word, right? May we take heed to his word. As we go this week, you know, continue to open up the word, guys. Continue to pray. Continue to seek him and trust him. And who knows what's going to happen this week. There's a lot that can happen. Uh, but you hold... Hold, hold ground, right? Hold to the faith, right? So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, again, for your goodness. Thank you, uh, Lord, that we're able to, we're able to trust in you. Lord, we're, we're able to know you as believers. And you called us, Lord, just to be faithful, just to hang in there, just to remain and abide in you. I pray, Lord, no matter what anybody's going through right now, Lord, that you would meet them where they're at. And uh, come alongside them, Father. Thank you so much that you're, you're good, Lord, and, and uh, you know all things, Lord. You're able to meet the needs uh, of all, Lord, of, of your church, Lord. And I would just thank you that you are faithful and that uh, you know what you're doing. You're in charge of this world. Uh, the economy could fall apart. The society could fall Our government could fall apart, Lord. Uh, war can happen. All this stuff can take place. But we trust in you, Lord. We know who you are. And we ask, Lord, that we would have great faith as well, um, that we would be able to call out in your name, Lord, and, and ask for your help. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.